0: Head to nextreel.com slash merch.
1: Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today.
0: And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got
1: lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011.
0: That's right. Twelve years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week.
1: If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on.
0: That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club.
1: In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff.
0: We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least.
1: (laughs) For our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There?
0: We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis' Christmas in July.
1: We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre.
0: And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well.
0: Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at the slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you.
1: So dive in and get your next read today. the slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading.
0: Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode
1: of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like.
0: So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show.
1: I feel like someone just stuck a needle in my head.
0: Those are the creepiest needles ever.
1: Right? The noise, too.
0: Drilling needles. Here's the problem. Is that tomorrow morning, I'm fasting. I'm fasting right now. Because tomorrow Mm. morning, I have to go in for a physical. And I don't, I don't, uh, like that.
1: No, Uh, no.
0: Misa, as they say, don't like that. (laughs) And, uh, and so I got to get the blood drawn and the uh, probing and poking and prodding and that's just not right. And so now watching this movie tonight, it was like with the, the spinning drilling needles in the forehead.
1: Right into the brain.
0: Right into the, right into the brain. Uh yeah. that sticks with you. It's pretty it powerful. That's powerful imagery. Should yes. I, what's uh what are we doing here? Do you want to do the thing?
1: Uh, sure. So, welcome to the next reel everybody. We're uh here to talk about movies. We uh like watching movies and talking about movies and we we do it every week and uh each week we uh we pick a movie and we talk about it from Top to bottom from, uh, inside to out and, uh, pretty much cover the whole gamut of the film. And, and yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much what we do here on the show. We love hearing from everybody who's out there. So definitely if you're out there, uh, you can get in touch with us, go to the dot com, and you can uh, find us on Facebook, the next reel, and you can uh, shoot us an email and, uh, and uh, what, what is the email address? I don't have the page open.
0: <laughs> I could tell. There's Andy in the woods just looking at
1: flowers and trees.
0: Oh, look, a bird. Uh, you can write us at show at the uh, and you can also listen to the show live, thenextreal.com slash live. There's a page that uh, is available there that you can uh, catch up with uh, with us uh, while we're doing the show every Thursday night uh, at 8.30. And uh, let's see. The last thing on the list was the phone call. You should call us if you, uh, and leave us voicemail if you're real serious about this stuff, if you're real, real serious, at 657-201-REAL, 657-201-7335. The Heart.
1: Of Anaheim. That's right. See, you do it so much better than I do anyway.
0: <laughs> it was that one time you said we spoil movies from, what was it? An- Anus to Arse? From, or...
1: from Ed to Anus. Ed right? to Anus. <laughs> from, <laughs> An- from
0: Anus to Arse. From Anus <laughs> to Anus. <laughs> and that, that's, what, uh, that's what, I just I get excited about that. I keep thinking you're going to bring that level of I just uh, wasn't ready. Ana- I, I... anatomical game to your intro.
1: I did it for baseball. You did. I you did totally for, I, did. Yeah, I had my little from first base to home plate. Yeah. Yeah, that was good.
0: I That's just I, I hadn't learned.
1: prepared. I I didn't realize it, I was up tonight, so. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that was an it was a noble effort. Um so, uh, yeah, so we're going to we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about this this uh, Dark City uh, l- later on uh, in our in our little uh, uh, exploration here. But I do want to mention one more thing in terms of current events this weekend on Saturday night. What time is it? Seven o'clock, 730, 7 o'clock?
1: 830. Well, th- yes. Yeah. <laughs> 830. When will all of us
0: be time. together? OK, 730 yeah. Pacific Time, 830 if you're a Phoenician Um, we will be doing a live, uh, film board. We're going to be talking about, uh, (laughs) the great, (laughs) what's it called? uh, Ounces, the great,
1: great uh, great uh, and powerful. Ounces, the great and powerful. Yeah. I think it's actually at, uh, eight. Eight o'clock. Okay, eight o'clock. We're gonna
0: do a live show. It will be live broadcast at com slash live, and of course it'll be in the podcast feed the next morning. Uh so please join us. We've got uh, we got the whole crew. We got I think we well, we don't have quite the whole crew, right? We're missing Chad uh this week, but we got uh we've got uh handsome Tom.
1: Steven and Tom and uh, Steve
0: Sarmento yeah. Mike Evans, Magic Mike, Mag- <laughs> Magic Mike, Uber <laughs> Mevins. <laughs> uh the great sarmento sarmento the great and powerful
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that's because he's still making fun two-tone. of me
0: and tommy Tutone, uh we it's because sarmento's still making fun of me about my long-term recuperation from my illness he's been <laughs> he, he can be pretty merciless <laughs> on the facebook and my uh, just uh, digging he's always digging that's awesome. That's awesome i want i wonder if we'll agree that's right, ounces the great
1: and powerful Saturday night. Uh, so to...
0: yeah, I'm looking for are you did we decide? Are you going to see it 3D?
1: I, it's really going to depend on what time works best with uh, with my daughter since I'll be dragging her along, and hopefully she will uh, she'll like it, but more than likely since I am dragging her along, it will not be 3D since she tends to take her glasses off halfway and kind of give up on the whole 3D thing. I'm,
0: I'm like your daughter. I've decided that if I want to actually see if I like a movie, i got to see it 2D. Old
1: school. Well, certainly after The Hobbit, I can see. That was a downer. Yeah. All right.
0: All right. So let's talk about some trailers. You've got, you you really are, uh, you're going vintage. Here's our current events trailer se- segment with Andy.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I, I went to the Sedona International Film Festival this past weekend. How was that? It was great. It's a, it's a great community. It's a great film festival. I really enjoy the climate up there. Just everything about it is just a, a it reeks of just, you know, comfortable, great film festival. Reeks, kind of a smelly word. It is. I, it may not have been the best word to choose, but <laughs> I'm going with it anyway. <laughs>
0: All right. So what did you I'm see? You, you caught up with some good stuff.
1: Yeah, I saw I saw four um, really good movies. I saw a couple great documentaries. One was called Go Ganges, which is made by a couple guys. It's kind of a travelogue. They did one a few years ago called uh, Paddle to Seattle. And this is a, their follow-up where they basically travel the length of the Ganges River in India. And it's kind of a travelogue. It's pretty funny. You learn about the river and you just have a fun time watching them. I saw another one called Shenandoah which was about um, the town of Shenandoah, Pennsylvania, where uh, some high school football players beat up and killed an illegal immigrant and just kind of everything kind of coming out of that. And then I saw a couple great narrative films. One was called Any Day Now with uh, Alan Cumming and uh, Garrett Dillahunt as a gay couple in the 70s who decide to adopt this mentally retarded Child and um, it's it's just a really interesting look at the nature of of what a family is and particularly how the court system really kind of stops looking at what uh, looking at the kid in these situations and focusing on other issues. Mm-hmm. It's gr- great film, but the one I'm particularly wanting to talk about, which is the vintage one, is uh, an, an actually a 2011 film from Australia called Red Dog which um, is already out on Netflix. You can watch it here. But uh, it's still, I guess, I don't think it had any sort of theatrical release over here, so it's still kind of making a uh, um, a festival run out here, even though it is available on Netflix. So definitely watch it. It is streaming. It's called Red Dog. And it's just a great film about this, this true story about this dog in the 70s that came to live in this rough and tumble uh, kind of mining town and it became kind of the mascot. It became everybody's best friend. And it really became kind of the, the the thing that tied everything together in this community. And it's just a great story. It's one of those dog films that just ends... You end up at the end of it just, you know, crying because dog films tend to do that. And it's convinced me that we need to do a series uh, called Dog Films That uh, Create Man Tears. <laughs> I, I think... I think there's enough of them where we could have a, a whole series. <laughs> <that> old yellow,
0: <laughs> <and> that, <laughs> that perky think, little collie, I t- <laughs> and
1: uh, yeah, I, I think a series may be much, but we should definitely put a list up because there's a lot of just great films that you just can't watch without crying because they're just, you know, it's I don't know. There's something about a dog and the way that it connects with its owner. It just makes for very touching films.
0: Could do We could do a whole hour on the, what was it, the Bud Light Dog? Bud, the Bud Light Dog?
1: <laughs> was that his name? Spuds uh, McKenzie.
0: Spuds McKenzie, that's right. Mm-hmm.
1: Well done. We're pulling that out of the, uh, <laughs> <80s>.
0: <laughs> so. <laughs> I, uh, I will watch this, movie I'm excited that we're, that we've got it on, uh, on the old Netflix. I'm excited to, uh, catch up with that.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 it's a great film. Yeah, a lot of fun. And it's, right. it's, it's good for the family. It's a nice little family film. Sad family film. At the end, uplifting the rest yeah. of the time. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: so watch the first three quarters of it, and then you could just go start slapping yourself. And be, <laughs> oh, you
1: that go. would be
0: an alternative ending.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, my trailer is—I uh, don't know. Maybe it's predictable. This was kind of a big trailer week, don't you think? I mean, in terms of big, like updates to the big uh, franchises that are coming. Like we have the new Iron Man three trailer, which was outstanding. Very exciting. I could watch that a thousand times. New After Earth trailer, which showed a lot more uh, of the um, uh, Smith, the younger uh, Mm -hmm. Jaden. Is that his name? Jaden Smith. I don't know. Or Jaden, what's his name? Jaden. Oh, see. It's Will Smith and Jaden Smith. Yeah. That's both of them. Uh, And so you see a lot more of the, just the general environment is really great, uh, you know. Updated clip from Into the White. We talked about that a trailer before, but the one I'm talking about is the Hangover Part Three. Uh Todd Phillips uh joining again with Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, Zach Caliphnikis, Ken Jong, and now Heather Graham. Uh just a you know, it's funny. This surprised me. Did you know it was a trilogy?
1: Well, I knew they were making a a third film. I was a little surprised that they began marking it as, you know part three like this big trilogy yeah yeah that really kind of took me by surprise that
0: took me by surprise because i i I, you didn't like the second one right
1: the second one was a, a bad retread of the first one okay
0: see this is my philosophy on the hangover movies and i i may be alone i'm gonna go if you're if i'm not alone please uh jump in on the facebook page I believe that I, I mean I really liked The Hangover. I I thought it was hysterical. Oh
1: yeah, it's right? a brilliant film. Brilliant. And, and when brilliant it was script,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it was over, I thought to myself, self, I could sit down and watch more of that. And you know what they did? They did exactly that. They gave me more of that. <laughs> they said, you know what? This is Hangover Part Two. If you liked Hangover Part One, you will still keep liking it. In The Hangover Part 2. We're just going to do it again, and it's going to be funny then, too. And I thought that was funny. And now, just judging by the... If you go to the apple.com slash trailers and look at the uh, the, uh, <laughs> the splash image, uh, kind of the hero image they have for um, Part 3, it is... A, <laughs> we've got this sort of rocky five uh, of Zach Kalifanakis and Ken Jeong staring each other down over... Vegas, no, burning.
1: It is, it is Harry Potter. You're totally oh, off the mark. It's Harry Potter. No, oh, you're part right. Seven, it's
0: it is. It's Harry part Potter two. Part Seven.
1: Part Seven. Part Two.
0: Part Seven. Two. <laughs> with uh, yeah, uh, uh, not Gandalf. <laughs> Voldemort. Oh man, Harry and Voldemort. Harry and Voldemort. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure Gandalf was in the back in the background. He was hiding in the bush. He had a robe. It was a Gandalf. <laughs> Stop it shut it anyway um so it looks really funny it's like they they the tagline is it all ends the epic finale to the hangover trilogy which i think i'm on the record i think it's brilliant i think it's going to be funny the trailer looks great and i'm excited to uh i'm excited to
1: see it i actually thought the trailer looked wholly new and original compared yeah. to the second one. Totally. So I was actually excited to see the trailer for this one.
0: Yep. 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 I'm excited. So in terms of big franchises, that's one I'm excited about right now. I was excited to see that and made my day. I was happy about it. There you go. Nice. So we, nice. Got, we, we had one more that was kind of a special edition. You wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Joss Whedon's next project. Uh, follow-up in his epic follow-up to the Avengers. He's doing Shakespeare.
1: Yeah. I, I gotta say, I, saw somebody posted that on on facebook and i I thought it was a total joke (laughs) Mm -hmm. i was like okay that's kind of funny and then i i was like i I clicked it and i was like oh nope they're completely serious he's doing shakespeare yeah he's he's doing much ado about nothing which and it looks like he's doing kind of a present day telling of it and it looks i mean it looks like a shakespeare story set in present day i gotta say I have a hard time listening to Shakespeare when they're not dressed in old clothes. Really, I, I don't. I, it's it's like a weird affectation when I see a modern day person dressed in modern clothes speaking Shakespearean. It well, and we should be it clear. Click.
0: We, we should be clear. This is a. It, they are doing the Shakespearean English. Like it's not. It's not a modernized. For it is.
1: Oh yeah. It's taken. No, it's it, the it's play. set
0: today, but it is the play. I mean, it's the.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, it's pretty, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see how it does. It's a great play. Much Ado is I think um, one of my favorites and it's been done a good number of times, but it's a, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see it. I'm curious to see if it actually does manage to attract a modern audience to it more yeah. so than any other Shakespeare film would. It's not going to draw Avengers numbers. No. But, but you know he's, got a, little, he's got a little mental.
0: this is a good time for him to do something like that uh yeah. it's got his typical he has got all of his usual uh cast uh ca- folks he's worked with a lot sort of Nathan Fillion and gang mm-hmm. um and i i think it looks uh i think it looks great it's uh, black and white uh, it looks
1: like it's black and white with splashes of color yeah
0: with uh amy acker Playing Beatrice. Oh, I yeah, I'm excited about it. I, yeah, I think it was be. a good time. I think it's uh yeah, he this is I, I like how he shares a writing credit with William Shakespeare. <laughs> on IMDB. It's just nice to see Joss Whedon and William Shakespeare in the writers field. <laughs> uh yeah. That uh that Alexis Denisov, you know, is pretty much the cast of Angel. That's who it is. Did you ever watch Angel?
1: I never did. They probably sat around between takes going, you know what we should do?
0: We should totally rock some Shakespeare. (laughs) That would be so great.
1: And there they are.
0: One day, now here's what it is. One day, one of us is going to get famous enough and you have to bring us all in to rock some Shakespeare. Whoever it is, that's our secret pact. And
1: it happened to be (laughs) Joss. That's right.
0: Yep. Uh, So that's awesome. I'm excited about that one.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting coming out this summer.
0: Yeah. All right, let's talk. Cool. About this. Let's talk about this movie. Yes. So we're doing Dark City.
1: Yeah, this is the first of our new uh, series.
0: Our new series of now we called it original sci-fi. Can we? Yes. Could you talk about what that means?
1: Well, I, I think what we were talking about when we were saying, "Oh, we should do a sci-fi series," we started realizing, "Oh, like so many things that we picked." were tied into franchises or were based on a a book or a graphic novel, or it was so popular it spun off all these additional films or, you know, or graphic novels or books or whatever or TV shows. And it was hard to find, it's not hard to find, but it just, it became a kind of a challenge for us to find, let's find some science fiction films that have been made that really are kind of standalone pieces that that haven't necessarily been based on things or haven't had things based on them. That's really just kind of a one-unit package. And, uh, yeah, so that's really what this series is all about, single films of great sci-fi that are their own unique entity.
0: I think on our our film list, the original, at least my original section title for this was science fiction films that aren't Star Trek, Star Wars, etc., etc., etc.
1: Right, and that kind of a inspired us as we kept going well that's kind of tied into this exactly yeah
0: yeah. we can kind of simplify uh and so we're starting with dark city um why are we starting with dark city
1: i don't know if there was a reason it's just kind of the first one that ended up on our list (laughs) (laughs) uh
0: well it and rightfully so but i i believe this one uh you you added this one to the list first and i'm curious why what is it about this film uh, that you uh that that besides the fact that it is you know it's a cult favorite it's a movie that if you're interested in sci-fi you are mandated to love um uh, on some level by you know the cult why is it that you like it
1: this was a film that came out in uh 98 and and I was uh, uh working as a projectionist at the time and it was a film that all of us in the projection booth, anytime we'd start up this movie, there were certain points that we knew we had to go check out. We had to go watch through the window and, and watch these scenes because they were just so fantastically done. It was, it was like eye candy in this really dark way. But when you watch the film, you realize that it's not just eye candy. There's so much more interesting stuff going on in this story. It's this interesting play between, you know, beings and people they're controlling and it's like you know the the puppet masters and the puppets and the puppet is realizing what it is and i don't know i just found that there was so much more going on in this story and this this vision that alex proyas had when he created the film i always was drawn to right from the first time i watched it and i've always continued to be drawn to it and uh, you know i i don't know i think it's just one of those um imaginings of a future world, uh, potentially a future world. I guess it doesn't even have to be a future world that is un- unique and is uh, original. And because of all of that, I, I, I always find it very exciting.
0: I oh man, I there's so many little things I latch onto when I hear you talk about it. Um, the i think the first I, I i don't know maybe the first three or four times i watched the movie i uh it's like it deliberately tricks me uh and hides from me what the movie is about uh, because i find myself getting so lost in the look of it in the feel of it in this sort of emotional connection that I have with what they what he does on screen with the darkness in particular with the like there's this there there's this just need to kind of suss out what's going on uh just behind the light in this film and I think that for me is kind of a visual metaphor a visual cue for wanting to eventually really understand you know what he's what sort of a painting he's trying to to create um with the story uh, and the pacing of the story and the way the clues come out i mean in in so many ways this is just a this is an um it's like an old school kind of uh who done it uh, the way that each of these sort of clues comes out seen scene. seen we're do- we're talking about the 2008 uh director's cut that came out so uh, adds an additional what 15 oh, minutes 11 about minutes 11 minutes yeah uh but but changes some things in a, in a way that that i think are pretty important um it, particularly in the setup of the film, and I think that's a that's a big one for me. Uh, removing the uh, Kiefer Sutherland's intro dialogue, you know, I'm I I'm not as much of a purist as as many, but I find myself getting really frustrated when I introduce this movie to. New people are I I had gotten frustrated introducing this movie to people who hadn't seen it dealing with the intro, you know, dialogue monologue that uh, gives away some of the really important pieces that are so fun to experience later in the film once you've sort of earned it. Absolutely. Uh, And... And, uh, you know, in that way, I just feel so, I I feel such a wonderful connect the dots with this film. It is so rewarding by the end, uh, when you, when you actually kind of, when, when he sort of pulls back the cover and you, you see exactly what, what the story was about. Um, and as you say, at the same time, um, I think there is such depth in this film, allowing you to really explore, uh, the perspective of this city from each of the major characters. Uh you know, from William Hurt's character, Kiefer Sutherland's character, Jennifer Conley and and Rufus Sewell. I think they I, I think there is so much meat for for discussion around the experience of each of these characters. It's very powerful.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I think they all bring a lot to the table too as their characters uh particularly in this strange world where people essentially are constantly being i guess you could say reprogrammed right where they're given new memories time and time again because these strangers want to um learn what it is that makes us human they want to try different memories in different people to see how is it going to make that person react will they will they react based on those memories or will something from who they are, um, the soul or whatever it is, keep them from acting on those. And I I find it so fascinating watching all of these people play these characters. Uh, particularly, uh, I mean, I think Rufus Sewell is great being kind of this guy who's woken up in the middle of of the the tuning where he's getting new memories implanted. But I really enjoy watching William Hurt and Jennifer Connelly as these two characters who really always feel. Lost. They always feel like they've kind of just woken up, and they're trying to like they have these memories, and they're trying to connect the dots, but nothing is quite there. And like the scene when William Hurt is talking about, and I believe this is in one of the added scenes in the director's cut, where he where they sit in his car, and she sees the accordion in the back seat, and she's commenting on it, and oh, he talks about so how powerful. oh, it's great. He yeah. talks about how it, it was a gift from his mother. And she had uh, died recently, and whatever I can't remember specifically what he says. But then he's like, God, you know, you'd think of all the things I'd remember, I would remember when she gave it to me, but I can't remember. And there's all these little clues throughout, as as you can just look in their faces, even when Jennifer Connolly is singing the, the like uh, the uh, sway with me song or whatever she's singing in the in the in the nightclub. Her face has this look like, I'm doing this, I can do this, I'm good at this, but I also don't really know why I'm doing this, mm-hmm. and it's almost this disconnect that the people have, and I, I just, I find them so fascinating, and I really enjoy watching them in particular in this film because of the way that they play it, and I, it it really is, uh, when you see um, William Hurt as Inspector Bumstead join in with... Uh, Rufus Sewell as John Murdoch toward the end and they're just like pounding with this wall because they both have kind of crossed this line where they have to see Shell Beach I mean I'm just right there with them
0: Yeah, you know I want to go back to that scene in the car because I think it it illustrates one of the things that is so kind of expertly delivered in this film it is this sort of sense of emotional double entendre right I mean that scene as written could have come straight out of uh, you know a uh, a standard drama right non-science fiction it it could have come right off the pier at prince of tides you know what i'm saying right. like yep. and it could have had the same kind of emotional meaning for william hurt to say you know who who forgets that like yeah. that that you can feel that he is dealing with a serious uh emotional misgiving and yet there is this extra layer on top of it that is a very practical sort of here's the the practical science fiction reason why you feel that way. Um, I I love that those kind I mean those scenes are delivered over and over and over again uh, in yep. this film, particularly in the first hour and ten minutes, like before they really start to unravel um, or, or reveal uh, you know the the motivations of the strangers. Um, yep. But I think it gets to uh, a- as you say. I think one of the things that's so rewarding about Jennifer Connolly and William Hurt. Uh, is that Rufus Sewell is his character uh, Murdoch is is gifted with uh, uh, the reveal early on because he sort of woke up and he's tracking this down actively. Jennifer Connelly and William Hurt are they're just dealing with these with with what's around them. This is the nature nurture discussion in this movie that is you know they are. You know, there, there's that clip of the rat in the in the maze, in the circular yep. maze, in the beginning, and then the then you realize the whole movie is the, is the circular maze, and all they have is what they see. They have no other um, no other clues that anything else crazy is going on to them. Rufus, or Murdoch is a guy who lost his memory. He's potentially a murderer, and they got to catch him and figure out what's going on. But yeah. something just doesn't feel right, and we could feel, you know, we. You and me walking around in our daily malaise uh, have experienced those feelings of, what is going, something just doesn't feel right. I'm right. just not, I'm just not, this is just not right. Who's to say, uh, and and this ends up being the philosophical uh, sort of vision of the film, uh, where at least it, it in, in part hangs its hat, is who's to say that we're not in some grand experiment? And I think that's what this, uh, that's one of the major themes that this film uh, really plays well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's very um, just haunting the way that it portrays that, and the uh, you know you brought up the rat in the maze, which I think is a perfect example of looking at it as you know in that particular case, we have uh, Doctor Schreber, Kiefer Sutherland's character. He's essentially the puppet master in that particular case, and he's got this rat in the maze. The rat doesn't really, you know, it has to figure its own way out in this little maze that it's stuck in. And Dr. Schrieber can change the walls or do whatever he wants in his little maze. It's exactly the same when you step back and see that we're, all these people, are the rats in the maze. Mm -hmm. And the strangers are the ones who are the puppet masters here.
0: Well, and especially when they do the pullback, the great reveal of the city at the end—the city floating in space—and you see that it's this giant circular city floating in space. Yes, and it is exactly a giant. It is the Meratne, maze, that it's, uh, and and the way they orchestrate the tuning, the midnight tunings, and 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 move the buildings around—you know—it's that that giant, uh, the the one of them, the city or the rat, are are uh, they're metaphoring one another. did you catch catch that i just that's got to be new somebody some fourth grade english class has done that before
1: (laughs) oh that's that's awesome
0: so uh okay so go ahead
1: well i i just want to continue on that because i i you know there's this interesting little thing this theologian gerard laughlin um, looks at Dark City as an actual retelling of Plato's allegory of the cave, right? Where you've got you know the the city inhabit- inhabitants are the prisoners. They don't realize they're in a prison. John is escaping this cave, and and the doctor is helping him learn how everything is working, and that there's actually these shadows that are the puppets, and you know all this sort of stuff. And it's a it's a fascinating other look at what. Proyas and his team are doing with this story and and telling the story that is really creating this this world that really it, it, it in a way it has a, a kind of a mythological feel to it.
0: Yeah, it it really does. Uh, you know, there's this uh I think when you step into the city and you see the uh, you sort of have this you take in the the art and architecture, right? The this the mishmash of the um, uh, of the uh, European, of the uh, you know, the, he plays so much with with architecture over time. You end up with with uh, uh, just genre mash. You know, it's this sort of sense of you don't really know where you are or when you are at any given time. Not only can you can no one figure out how to get to Shell Beach, you are they are deliberately uh, disguising the uh sort of historical context of this city mm-hmm. and and you and and no one but oh well, I guess uh you know here we are in the context of our protagonist and uh, uh uh these other main characters. no one's really asking the question uh until the the foundation starts to shake why are things like they are here right, right. uh and what is it that that ends up triggering? Those uh, that sense of needing to ask the question. In the case of of Murdoch, it's uh, you know it's an experiment gone awry. In the case of uh, you know our our uh, William Hurt's character and Jennifer Con- Connelly's character, it's it's uh, it's different for each of them.
1: Right, and you know it's interesting because uh, it, the script as as Proyas was originally planning to write it was focused on Inspector Bumstead. The story was about a detective who was trying to solve a case and kept finding all the facts to solve it, but all of the facts led to a puzzle that he could not put together. It just made it messier and messier. None of the facts actually lined up, and he was going down this road that just was like this, essentially a spiral into, you know, chaos. And I think he smartly determined that, you know, flip it around and do it from a, a person who wakes up at a crime scene as if, you know, he just killed somebody. And I think that puts it in a much more interesting spin. But still, I think it's it's a great way to look at, you know, how he has all of these characters in this world. And, uh, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, it it comes through for each of them in this way where they're trying to latch on to something
0: well and and i think you know to your point they each have this sort of interrogative role right i mean they they each the the role that each of those these you know four primary characters have well and and when you think of the um, you know of the alien species they, the the role that they have is to sort of poke at these uh larger kind of philosophical arguments um in in, in their own unique way and i think that makes the story just very very rich yeah. Um so what ends up happening is we discover that uh all of these tricks are being pulled by the strangers that turn out to be um alien jellyfish energy beings that <laughs> take over the bodies of the dead. And right. the bodies of the dead become the strangers. They end up they they reanimate the dead. The dead suddenly feel the need to put on black leather robes and they become the uh, the the mad scientists over this city. That's right. In space. So that's what we that's what we end up learning about. And the last act of the film is, um, you know their uh, their universe ends up unraveling a little bit as uh, unraveling a lot as um, uh, they discover that John Murdoch can actually tune and takes them on mano a mano.
1: Yeah. Mano a hando. <laughs> It's it's uh it's pretty interesting looking at this film in context for uh when it came out because this came out early ninety eight, just a year before The Matrix came out. Right. Which had a lot of the similar themes and ideas and even just and the sets. And sets and tone, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so much about that and no leather matter. outfits. And I'm not saying that you know the the Wachowskis stole from from Proyas or anything like that. I'm sure they were needy in production by the time this sure. uh, came out. But um, but it does have a lot of similarity, and I I find it absolutely fascinating how these two films uh, really have have these this this connection. And I think there is. I don't know if it was just something going, something in the air, something in the water, but, but there was this fascination for exploring this idea of, you know, what if we are just puppets? What if there is more? And even Men in Black had that whole thing at the end, you know, I mean, is yeah, you
0: you know, I think uh, the 13th floor, yeah, I don't think you can leave that one out. And, and uh, of course, I mean, your favorite, uh, Brazil
1: which yeah jumping a a, a decade earlier a de- but absolutely but
0: you see i mean i i just feel like there was and and maybe we're just we're we, i you know we're sort of off cycle uh right now but there is this this sense that we had this collective consciousness a collective awareness of needing to ask these questions mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like here's this the, what if we are uh cogs you know this is another way of expressing the cogs in the machine um kind of feeling that that, uh, that we get from time to time. Yep. 13th Floor was one of my favorites, too, I should just add.
1: I love I need to watch. I need to watch that again. I know I saw it, but I can't remember a thing about it. She was so cute.
0: The girl. I can't remember her name now. Oh, <laughs> she's so cute.
1: That one girl.
0: What was her nest going to make me crazy? It was uh, Gretchen Maul. Gretchen Maul.
1: Oh wow. That okay. was a
0: that was uh that was I think the first time I saw Vincent D'Onofrio. But see that was a, that was 99. Um see, yeah, So it's it was right in that same, right in that same uh, yeah same thing. year as the Matrix. Yeah. Armin Mueller-Stahl.
1: Yeah, I need to watch that again. Oh, you really do. Yeah.
0: All right, so uh in terms of the uh, the one of the things that just jumps out at me and I think another reason, you know, I was talking about why I get lost in the movie you know, is that the visuals, particularly at the time, were in great competition with the story for me. Uh, yeah. I it it is the the eye candy that you mentioned in the beginning is, uh, rich in this film, and I just found myself on the edge of my seat for each time the clock struck midnight because I knew this city was going to evolve right in front of me, and I had never seen anything like that.
1: Yeah. It was stunning it It really was mind boggling wasn't it watching watching the uh, effects especially in ninety eight when you I mean it was r- such top of the line effects watching the way that this yeah. thing played out, it really uh knocked my socks off, and that's why you know what like I said, I as working as a projectionist time and time again, I would go back every time I would know exactly okay, I gotta be there at this time because that's when the I'm gonna get to see the town or the whole city shift again, so yeah it's it's uh amazing was, stuff amazing stuff put together by uh by Alex Proyas and his team uh, George Little and Patrick Totopoulos were the two production designers on it
0: it's uh it, i i think the the mashup between practical effects and and uh cg effects were uh, it, it was the first time that i felt like and and i think a lot of this is you know owed to the um the general darkness of the film you know you get away with a lot in the dark mm mm-hmm. mhm but um uh, this was the first film where i i found myself like looking at it and saying i can't i i can't tell what they're doing here i mean i just uh, you know i get so lost that a building that is just sort of you know looks like a sponge as it's coming out of the ground versus a uh, you know what i know cognitively is a practical uh, you know set piece moving in front of it where I couldn't tell the difference and I thought this is I'm I am totally lost in this experience. It's just yeah. beautiful. Um uh, I think that yeah. that integration was just perfect.
1: Yeah they really did integrate the models well with the yeah. uh with the uh vi- the CG and the it, uh,
0: stairs at the end when he's you know where he's after he's visited his uncle he's got to run up the stairs, right? Yeah and the right. stairway gets longer. Uh, right. I just <laughs> Oh, man, I've had that nightmare like a thousand times.
1: I know. It's like that and poltergeist it just looks scene like when that. the hallway gets long. It's the exactly. exact same thing. It works so well.
0: Oh, it works so well.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, okay, so the film... Um, what? Let's talk more about the production. What else do you like yeah. about
1: that? Well, it's it was a... Um, like I said, George Little and Patrick Totopoulos were the production designers. And Darius Wolski was the cinematographer. He shot it. He is a guy who's been around for a long time. He's done a lot of music videos. I mean, Paul Abdul, David Bowie, Neil Young, Sting, Aerosmith, Elton John, lots of stuff. Um, he's uh, done a lot, of, a lot of films, too, um, starting in 1988. Just been doing lots of films. Crimson Tide. He did The Crow with Alex Proyas. That's how Mm -hmm. he came to be with him on Dark City. And then he's gotten in with the big stuff like all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He did Sweeney Todd, which we talked about. Mm -hmm. And he also did Prometheus, which we talked about. So he is a man who's been around.
0: He has indeed uh, Eagle Eye, Alice in Wonderland. Uh, Eagle Eye was a that was an interesting little romp.
1: Terrible. Yeah,
0: what happened there?
1: (laughs) Like, it was that, know. that
0: was a state, wasn't it a state of, what was the other one, State of,
1: state Enemy of the I'm State? Playing. Oh, I liked Enemy of the State.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. There's a, there's another pairing.
1: I I always feel bad for Michael Chiklis, because every time he's in a movie, I swear, it just ends up not being good. Oh,
0: yeah. That was a real connection for you, to
1: He's my man.
0: All right. Uh. Okay. So, uh, Darius Wolski, we love him. Did a great, did a great job. I, you know what I, I, in particular, okay. Uh, mm. Is this idea of the neo noir,
1: right? Yeah, and that's something that uh, we we should just hit on. It it really has that neo noir vibe. Um, well, de- kind of define sci-fi...
0: yeah, define what what neo noir is.
1: Well, noir film noir, uh, we've talked a little bit about on the show. Is you know it's a, a, a kind of a subgenre style of film that came out in the the 30s, 40s, and 50s. That they they had less money, and so the films ended up being done on the cheap they It just had really gritty scripts, really kind of despicable characters, usually had a femme fatale in there, and uh because of the the lack of money, they would often the sets were often darker because they didn't have money to dress them but then that became part of the style is these really shady, gritty sets and so from then on. That that noir style has been very popular, and anytime a film is made very shadowy and it kind of has that you know kind of there's probably a detective in there and you've kind of got this crime vibe going on it it's often called a neo noir film is it a is it a gimmick to
0: your uh, uh according to you no 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 i' no, you think I it's think a so. you think it's you think it's legit
1: calling it a neo noir yeah
0: is neo noir just another is it is it uh do we take that serious it's in wikipedia it's got to be serious
1: Yeah, no, I I take it seriously. I mean, it's it's been around. It's better than calling it a film noir. I mean, technically, you know, if you're going to be specific, I mean, film noirs really were just a specific period in the 30s, 40s and 50s. Films after that that had that style kind of, I mean, you can call it a film noir, but really, it's really more of a neo-noir. Or a post noir, or something like that.
0: There is there is this sense of I think um, well you know film noir. We've we've talked I think uh, you know enough about film noir in our in our um, you know our Bogart Houston sure uh, discussions that you know so. we end up with uh, you know sort of this low key black and white. You have the um, uh, off angles, high and low um, kind of expressionist angles uh, in the cinematography and in terms of the the Character makeup is made up of these sort of um, uh, morally dubious characters. There's nobody with a with a strong good or bad, uh, right? Or they're mostly bad. It's kind of shades of of darkness. Uh, and neo noir, um, you know, in in the context of this film, we end up with that same. I mean, brilliant sense of darkness, uh, it, which I think is hard to do. I mean, I think it's hard to to make a film look dar- as dark as as. They do in Dark City, and still allow you to see it, um, right. and and to see what they need you to see when they need you to see it. Um, and there is this, I think, what to me what makes it Neo is this awareness of the of the uh, the technology and the science that exist in the world. Um, the fact that there are things that are otherworldly that are playing in in the story affecting these characters beyond their own motivations right um which which is more of a, a characteristic of film noir um so i you know in in any case i think uh when you look at Darius wolski and and the intent that uh, sort of the visual intent that they captured uh with his camera i think they they succeeded um very well
1: yeah definitely it really has that vibe the whole way through, mm-hmm. and it works really well for the film, especially when you're titling a film called Dark City. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're going to need to go there.
0: Right. Uh, okay. So, we love the cinematography. What else do we love about it? We love uh, David Goyer and Lem Dobbs.
1: Yes. Uh, the other uh, two writers on the project that came on and joined Alex Proyas to do it, Um I, Lem Dobbs, we just talked about recently, he was, uh, he was doing, um, uh, what was he just doing that we were just talking about? He had been working with Soderbergh. He did uh, yeah. Haywire. He didn't do, um, uh, the one we just talked about. Why am I forgetting the name of it? Side effects. Side effects. Yeah. He, he didn't do side effects, but he has worked with, um, Soderbergh for a while with Haywire, uh, the limey mm-hmm. and uh yeah and then dark city is one that he wrote back then and um yeah he just brings a lot of nice stuff out in the script and um david s goyer of course is a big old hollywood name He's written yeah, lots he's of big all over stuff everything. he really is all over everything absolutely everything uh he's a lot of a lot of good things like all the the recent nolan batman films
0: yeah uh, Batman Ghost Rider did the story for the new Ghost Rider um, to bring that one back because the first one was so terrible uh, he's a man of steel invisible man coming up in Godzilla in 2014 and um, so he's 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 all the rage right now
1: he is he's a big man
0: uh, so this was a, a, a writing part, part, partnership uh, between Lem Dobbs, David Goyer and Alex Proyas, um, shot in uh, mostly in Australia at Fox Studios Australia.
1: Yeah, I think all, I think entirely all actually. of it. Yeah, yeah, was, uh, yeah, that's
0: right. Shot all in Australia. Um, and then,
1: and then you're right. The Matrix, when they came to film in Australia, actually used a lot of their sets. A lot
0: of their sets. And and you know, it was I was surprised at just how much I recognized uh, from the matrix we just watched the matrix not long ago and so it's, that's funny uh, yeah i mean it's uh particularly the running the rooftop scenes are mm-hmm. are okay. um pretty striking and I, I i you know i liked the matrix i liked the matrix a lot and i still was filled with a little bit of
1: shame on you <laughs> <laughs> so there
0: so there yeah i said that i said it out
1: loud Yeah. Right. uh trevor jones did the music he's a he's a great composer he's done Um, some, some good stuff. He's not as, he's not like in my top echelon of composers, but he has done a lot of stuff that I do like, um, in the name of the father. He did, um, uh, Labyrinth, which is uh, one that I still treasure from my childhood (sighs) and, uh, Dark City, of course, Notting Hill, 13, 13 days, which is actually, I think one of his, his best, uh, scores. Yeah. Time Bandits. Lots of great stuff. So, he I, does, yeah, he, uh, the Dark Crystal, yeah.
0: He does uh, Merlin, the TV show, the BBC show. No, that was Merlin, the, uh, that was from 98. He doesn't do the current one, I guess. That was the old one.
1: That was the one with uh, Sam. Yeah, Sam Neal. Sam Neal, yeah. Right. Right.
0: Uh, in any case, uh, yes, Trevor Jones, we like him.
1: The music, I think, is great. And I don't know if it's it's something that he came up with or if it was the sound designer team but the the kind of that music sound whatever it is when you're having those flashes of memories of of Yeah, that sort of Murdoch rewind to, sound? Yeah, that rewind. I love that. It works so well for me and I, I I don't know. I always assume that it was the composer who did it, but it could equally be just the, the sound people who mm-hmm. kind of came up with it. I love it. It works so well. And that's another great effect, the way that those kind of flash and kind of like almost like bubble out from one memory to the next. It's like bubbling out of, of the middle of one, and they just kind of keep coming. And I, I, I just love how fast they are, how you don't need all these details. It's just these little flashes, and it just... I don't know. That's always been a highlight for me of the film.
0: I totally agree. That's a that's a particularly at the end when they sort of begin to overwhelm you, you know, as he is, as as Murdoch is injected with uh, the collected memories, right? uh, Of uh, and and uh, uh, he begins to see them all. Um, That ends up being a very powerful kind of a sequence as he takes over the tuning for Dark City. And then, and then you know the visual. I, I mean, I think that leads to. Um, and we didn't really talk about the the finding of shell beach uh and right just how well the film earns that for me yeah you know right. it, it could i i think and and some have said that the well i guess i should ask you uh do you think that the given all of the sort of heavy kind of headiness of the philosophical kind of undertones of the film that we that we get into and the great sort of noir mystery uh that is laid out in the first hour and 10 minutes of the film do you think that the reveal that it's aliens in dead bodies is uh uh is a weak point in the film
1: i've never felt that well but also remember when when we first saw the film i mean we had that that dialogue right up at the top or the monologue i should oh, say oh it's a great point saying First, there was dark, and then there were the strangers. They came, and so it almost set it up like there were these weird aliens that had kind of invaded, or these mysterious people. So you know, uh, so I I don't think I ever really had a problem with it, but it's it's a story point that I've always I think I would have bought into either way because of the strange nature of the story. You know, yeah. I, I've but then again, I mean. I'm one of the few, uh, me and Roger Ebert, um, who totally bought into everything that Alex Preuss did with knowing. I, I think that is just a fantastic film. And uh, I, I know a lot of people don't, but I think well, it's a misjudged. And I think a lot of people hate it because they had a hard time buying this story about, you know, these strangers and all this sort of stuff that was going on. Only to find out that they're aliens and, you know, the story kind of goes off on that tangent in the third act. But, you know, if you're watching the film, it really is setting it up, I think, well for it.
0: Well, I, you know, I think there is enough otherworldliness. And, and uh, you know, to your point, I I wasn't thinking about the the monologue and I've been complaining about it for the last 30 minutes. So you, I probably should have been. But um, I have so supplanted the director's cut with I, I don't even have the, the original release anymore. And so I don't even associate that with with the first time I saw the film. But you're exactly right. They had given up the alien bit, you know, in the first two minutes of the film.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, they don't specify that they're... Well, I guess they they, they they make it sound alien. You just, you think they're aliens that look like people. Yes, exactly. Just the fact that it's like a, you know, a a jellyfish in their head. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's like, okay, well, that's the alien then. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, but I think that actually, you know, sort of the fact that they got rid of the monologue when you see the movie for the first time, you could be, um, I, I think, I, at least I can see where they come from when they, when the critics say, uh, Ugh, it's, it's a hidden alien film. This is a Saturday afternoon, um, you know, sci-fi channel romp right right i i haven't gotten that feeling and i think that's where I, where i get to the the final uh the reveal of the dark city floating in space surrounded by the force field and and when the sun rises for the first time uh, it, there is this sort of gut sense of triumph and and um uh, visual triumph that that i feel like you you sit through the film for for 2 hours and you get that uh, you finally see light um that is, uh, that's a really rewarding trick. As rewarding as it is when he opens the door and is blinded by right. the sun, um, I I absolutely share that feeling. And I think that's a that's a a great win for Preus and uh, to kind of elicit that emotional reaction at that point in the film for me.
1: Absolutely. And then to have you know Jennifer Connelly out there now, instead of as Emma, now she's Anna to have her out there and to have that opportunity for a new connection between the two of them i mean it's just mm-hmm. I, it's just you know it's isolating. very
0: e- eternal sunshine you know it's that uh, uh yep. that that's that's that it's the same feeling uh, eternal yep. sunshine sunshine in the spotless mind that you get when you when you you see these characters that you know are meant to be together
1: that's a really interesting Film to compare this with because it is it is really about you know you're changing people's memories but still there's something in them that just innately is drawing them in a certain direction. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I re- I really like that in this film. Uh, the it's film fu- it's oh sorry I was gonna say it's funny because the uh, the little scene there at the end also <laughs> now always reminds me of Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> of Jennifer Connelly out on the boardwalk, yeah, with a nice sunny sky. It's the exact same thing, totally different context. Totally, <laughs>
0: that's pretty funny. Uh, but you know, it's who knows? Maybe Shell Beach and Coney
1: Island. Maybe, yeah. It it could. Be. I need to see that movie again. That was Oof. yeah. Th- that's that's one to uh, show the kiddies if they decide to. You know, start doing some naughty yeah, things. Yeah, right. Let me show uh, you where that road takes that's you. That's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so the movie didn't do well uh, when it first came out.
1: It didn't. It did really horribly. It, uh, uh, I guess you could say it was kind of a bomb at the box office. Yeah. It. Uh, I, I think it only did a little better because of the... um
0: Because of uh, the the follow-up, right? I mean, the Ebert Ebert
1: discovery. Yeah, Ebert really pushed this. I mean, you know, if you look at his review of it, I mean, he's got a glowing review back when it came out. You know, it's a great visionary achievement, a film so original, exciting, it stirred my imagination, all that sort of stuff. And then he went on a number of years later to include it in his, um, or what does he call it, his great films list. Right. He and teaches so,
0: to it when he teaches uh,
1: uh, when he teaches I, film classes. And so. I don't know if you remember, but uh, there was a, what was that thing that came around uh, campus every spring—the big international,
0: yeah, yeah, the film festival thing. He came and talked about it.
1: Yeah, it, it was a, yeah, it was like a cultural, some sort of hooey yeah. thing that that he would come and talk, and and he would always, over the course of a week, he would show a film the first day, and then he would. Day by day, you could sit there in the theater with him, and he would play it and then pause it anytime someone had a question, or he would pause it and point things out, and he did Dark City in 98, mm-hmm. um, just a few months after it had left theaters, and it was really exciting to see. He It was clear that he loved it, and it was great hearing him talk about it and, and just kind of analyze it with him. So, um, yeah, he's definitely been a a supporter of this film from the get-go, and really, because of that support and because of the growth that it's had on on DVD and, and uh, other video media since it uh, since it was released, it really has become a cult classic.
0: Uh, and rightfully so.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it cost I see that it cost twenty seven million to make. Um and I see that the total budget was forty million, so you know with probably a Princeton advertising budget of thirteen million, and then domestically it grossed only fourteen point three million internationally about twelve point eight million so total gross twenty seven point two million so yeah, it definitely was a box office loser, but because of all of the d v d sales and everything else it's uh it's definitely uh, become a little more successful. And I which, I didn't see any I didn't see any figures on how much it has made um through DVD sales and everything. But
0: that would be a, a really interesting one. I you know it, this was this movie was coming off for Proyas. It was coming off of The Crow, which did exceedingly well at the box office. Yeah. Uh and you know I, I don't know how much of that w- it can be tied to the Brandon Lee uh, the accident Brandon Lee was uh killed on set. Um uh, and, and how much of that drove people to the the um, the movie? I I find Dark City a, a massively, vastly, exceptionally better film than The Crow for me.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh,
0: and and so I think that's a that's interesting. And then he he does Dark City, which is fantastic. And then um, into what uh, after this was uh, I Robot.
1: Yeah. Ugh.
0: He did. Was uh, there was Garage shame. Days that I never saw. Uh, but then iRobot and Knowing. Uh, iRobot, which I, I love how they describe this now. It's not based on the um, uh, the original uh, book. Right. Uh, the, the story by... Um,
1: I think they just said it was inspired it by... It was suggested. Suggested by. The, suggested
0: yeah. Oh, by, yeah suggested by Isaac Asimov's uh, short story collection. Which it was a very
1: disappointing film. It
0: was very disappointing, but also exceptionally well at the box office. Yep. Uh, nearly what four or three hundred and fifty million, and then Knowing the Nicolas Cage uh, weirdness uh, from two thousand nine, which uh, I which love. also exceptionally good uh, performance at the box office. You
1: loved you love Knowing. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. I, I, oh, we talked about that. See, well, this I is said, my
0: thing with Knowing. It's like Chinese food. It's like I saw it and I think I liked it, but I have zero memory of it. Like it did the, not stick.
1: Well, and the title is unfortunately. Um, forgettable because when I was talking about it I, I threw the title out there and you you know it doesn't even sound like a title of a movie no it doesn't sound like a title a <laughs> so but yeah I really like knowing I really like what he was doing with it and the whole relationship of of you know that that's what I was saying is like the aliens come in toward the end a lot of people are like oh that's just a where did this come from right. I think it's set up right from the start I, I really enjoy that film alright I'll and see I, that again I, and I know I'm one of the few.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'll see that again. You go do 13th floor and I'll do knowing and we'll, we'll kibbutz.
1: All right. Sounds good.
0: Uh, do, we should, we should rank it.
1: Let Are we ready cool. to do that? Uh, yeah, we're ready. to right, I was just looking right. through Split trying chart. to see if there's any last little things that I wanted to say, but I think we actually, oh, the, the one guy that we haven't mentioned is Richard O'Brien.
0: Oh, Mr. Hand.
1: Riff, riff Raff from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. And I think it's really funny that Alex Proyas actually had um, Riff Raff, uh, um, Richard O'Brien, in mind when he actually wrote the character. And then, lo and behold, he ends up actually being able to cast him. So he kind of is, had that Riff Raff. Yeah, he's, he's such a quirky guy. Isn't he, he is
0: so quirky, but so good mm-hmm. and weird.
1: He, yes, he is. Yes, he is, uh, but and weird, so good. And then there's uh, Bruce Spence, who uh, I just always recognize him from the Mad Max movies, because he's the he's the pilot.
0: Oh, he's, he yeah, now, of he's course,
1: an, yeah. It's he's one yeah, of those, yeah, Mr. Faces. Yeah, gosh, you're right, Mr. Wall, yeah, Mr. Wall, yeah,
0: man. No, that's a good pull. I didn't make that connection at all.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, Ian Richardson as the uh, as Mr. Book, the the head of these yeah. guys. You know, I just think he's just great in that role. And that face off between the two of them at the end there uh, is just is just fantastic. And he was in Brazil. So
0: he was. I, I love that face off at the end, uh, because after all of the intrigue, it really amounts
1: to two guys staring really intently at each other as the world I, falls
0: apart around them.
1: I always end up getting distracted watching that. Yeah. Just thinking back to the days of the production when they're shooting. Okay, now imagine there's all this stuff exploding around exactly. you. And these energy beams are shooting out of your head. Now just stare at each other really hard. Go. Totally. <laughs> Intense. It had to be the, Intense. It had to be the most awkward acting. But
0: <laughs> imagine a conical wave of energy protruding from your forehead. Exactly. Not so much here or here. But here.
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, at least Harry Potter and Voldemort yeah. had wands to hold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah These guys just weird. stared. So, all right. Let's rank it. Let's do it. So, jumping over to FlickChart here, we're going to rank Dark City.
0: Find us on flick FlickChart, com slash the next reel.
1: That's right. And we're not going to be ranking the 1950 Dark City. No. That
0: was a different 90. one. That was very that different. Was different.
1: Yes. Dark City or Looper? Oh, Dark City. Dark City or Zero Dark Thirty?
0: Hmm. Okay, I would put on Dark City first.
1: I would put on Dark City first. I still would say the Zero Dark Thirty might uh, be a better made film, but Dark City works so well for me with the uh, creativeness that he's doing, so I'll do Dark City too. Dark City or 7? I've got to go 7.
0: Yeah, I do 7.
1: Dark City or Moneyball?
0: Oh, this is the uh, cognitive dissonance. <laughs> uh, can yeah. I hold two great films in my head at the same time?
1: Unfortunately, you can't. Not on FlickTart. I will oh. go with Dark City. All right.
0: All right, I'll go with Dark
1: City. Dark City or The Thing? Dark City. Really yeah Gee, I would go the thing tell me why special effects the the it's a classic it set the stage for all of the great uh creature effects to come from eighties on.
0: I think you could say a lot about how dark City set the stage for uh uh so much science fiction to come after it for the de- next decade
1: well i I agree with you, but the <laughs> thing. <laughs> was a vision in what Rob Boutin was able to do with the effects and what he did, which is beyond what anyone was thinking that would be acceptable. I,
0: I, you're uh, okay. I feel like we could do this all night.
1: I, well, the point works for both of them. It
0: really does. I see what I was going to say. Like we, we okay. Ditto.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: So I'm going to give this to you, but I'm, Want you to know that I'll expect payback potentially very shortly.
1: Oh, not tonight. That's (laughs) the end. Number fourteen. Oh (laughs) man. I'm sorry. Maybe
0: that may come tomorrow night or uh, Saturday night.
1: That's right. It just might.
0: I just put a notch on my desk. Oh, notch of Andy (laughs) owes me ones.
1: I've got three of those on my desk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh
0: nuts. Uh, cow man, see, I just thought of something that I wanted to tell you about. Well, tell me. No, I forgot it. Oh. No. Uh, well, I I actually had two. One of them I forgot. This one I did want to tell you. Uh, can I t- can I change the subject?
1: Uh, from Dark City. Yeah.
0: Are yeah. we done? Can we can we move? Um, on?
1: I think so. I think we've we've covered it pretty well. Great movie.
0: I I it was it's a great movie. It's uh if you haven't seen it, you should totally see it because you you surely we could not have spoiled it enough
1: that's oh, right that's right that you, right. See, that you, you should definitely should have, have seen it see by now movie. yeah <laughs>
0: um uh, so what i was the, the what i was gonna say is uh based on our conversation from last year i started reading the uh, jack reacher novels oh i trying interesting. to get i'm trying to get ready because you know the one they did uh the, the what is it the jack reacher tom cruise movie right. that's coming
1: has it Which come already t- t-
0: it, it came, came and, and went. went. Yeah. And that's it. It came
1: out in December. It was, uh, what was it originally called? Uh, um, one, one shot. Once, sh- yeah, one shot. Yeah.
0: That was the name of the book, at least. That's, that's the, yeah. the eighth book in the series of 700 Jack Reacher novels that Lee Child has written. Oh, nice. And uh, I just read the first one and I wanted to tell you, I love it. I highly recommend it. If you're into these sorts of, uh, um, uh, you know, hard boiled military cop, uh, You know, procedural books, this is a good one. I'm very excited about a new series to devour. Oh, good to know. So, I wanted to recommend it because I know you said you hadn't read any of the books. Is that true? No,
1: that's right. I still haven't. So, now I I know. They're very good. Well, thank you for letting me know.
0: Uh, And the other thing I wanted to tell you is that, uh, you know, Bruce Spence, we're talking about Bruce Spence. That's right. Was the voice of Chum in Finding Nemo. Oh my goodness, that's fantastic. I didn't know that. He was the Mouth of Sauron in Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Wow. (laughs) He was the Train Man in The Matrix Revolutions. I knew that. Okay, he was Tian Midan in Star Wars Episode III, Revenge of the Sith.
1: I have no idea who that is. (laughs) He is
0: the only actor to appear in all three final films of three major trilogies seems like a dubious honor at best
1: that is really funny uh but that was him oh he's the tall the tall jedi guy the is that him? he was
0: the uh o- the local administrator on utapau
1: okay i i'm picturing him i i i can kind of picture him but i'm i'm a little off but yeah
0: well i uh he was the he was the guy so yeah, when um when Jedi when when uh uh, uh Obi Wan flies into the planet where all of their civilization is in giant holes in the ground, you know? Uh huh. Yeah. Right? He's okay. the guy who looks like the rings of a tree. Like he looks like, <laughs> like he's got the lines <laughs> on his head. Okay. Okay. And he says ah, he's here. <laughs> you, you gotta go Psst. He's here, and he's got a lot of robots with him. That's he funny. was that guy. Gotcha. He looks kinda, so kinda, yeah. S- so kinda.
1: Star Wars Episode Three, Lord of the Rings, the third one,
0: and The Matrix,
1: The Matrix third, and what the third Mad Max film? I mean, he was in the second and third,
0: <laughs> but he was also in the third Mad Max film,
1: and he was in the third Chronicles of Narnia film.
0: Oh well, see, that's not a final.
1: No, it's not. But it's probably the final movie they're gonna make. <laughs> I don't think they I don't think it did well enough to keep them going.
0: Maybe he'll be in the second John Carter.
1: No, he'll wait for the third.
0: <laughs> yeah, long wait. Hey, we didn't talk about the big news uh, of the week that uh, George Lucas let it slip uh, in the Bloomberg Business Week article this week that all three of the major first trilogy actors Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill have signed on to do.
1: The J.J. Abrams episode seven Star Wars yeah, film, which is fantastic,
0: is it is it fantastic?
1: I I just love that they're going to be in it. I, mean, I do you, too. It's just thing, you know, I I think it is fantastic.
0: I I, I do think it's, okay. I I think it's fantastic. Uh, I and I'm I have a great deal of faith in the J.J. in the mystery box. Yeah, I can't wait to see what he uh, what he comes up with for this.
1: It's going to be great. Oh, and I think did I correctly hear that? Um, Sam Mendes is not coming back for the next James Bond movie. Oh, that I had not heard. Yeah, I thought I had heard that. I'm going to have to, before I start spouting rumors, make sure. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that I heard that he is not on.
0: Ooh. Ooh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, it'll be curious to see who, yeah, there it is, CNN. He won't direct the next James Bond movie. Does it say who will? Nope. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Which is causing all sorts of speculation, you know? Yeah. Everybody I'll bet it's J.J. Abrams. <laughs> Why wouldn't it be
0: Star Trek, Star Wars, and James Bond? That's all... a trifecta. Yep. All right. I'm That's gonna. Cool. I'm gonna go. I think we're done. Are you done?
1: I am done I'm with you. So done. Yes. I
0: washed my hands. You are dead to me.
1: I, I need until to go. Saturday. Yeah, another, I need to get another head injection. You know
0: what you need? You need. Oh. yes. What?
1: Oh. What? We didn't. Are we gonna say what we're gonna do next week? Sure. Go for it. Because I forgot. Next week, we're going to do Sunshine. Danny Boyle's film. Oh. Very much looking forward to that.
0: I love that movie. I thought you didn't like that movie very much. Didn't we talk about this early in the
1: series? I love it, except I always, I feel like it kind of collapses in the third act. Yeah. But everything else is so top notch.
0: Oh, it's so great.
1: Yeah. Okay. So so we got our Oz the Great and Powerful Saturday night, everybody, and Sunshine next week.
0: Sunshine next week. Stick around. Sunshine. Thanks for joining us. I'm stopping the live broadcast. That's it. You people are kicked out. Good night, Andy. Boom. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM